The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, it's Jesse, and I'm bringing you another Thursday bonus episode. One thing that I've learned from hosting this show that has really worked for me personally. Now, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I published my first book last year. It was a memoir about my family. And you might also know that I had wanted to write and publish a book since I was in the third grade. So it was really the culmination of a dream. And here's the surprise. It didn't feel at all like I thought it would feel. It didn't feel great. Don't get me wrong. The writing part, those were the best hours of my life as a writer. And selling the book unleashed this confidence in me. It was like HarperCollins believed that I was a writer worthy of publication, enough so that an editor was willing to take a bet on this book, and so I believed it too. The book published on October 4th, my son's fourth birthday, his golden birthday. And for a week, I experienced this incredible high. Al Roker interviewed me for the Today Show. Time covered it. We had events in New York City, and some of you listeners even came to them. You know who you are. Thank you for that. But then, I don't know, the news moved on. The publisher's marketing efforts seemed over, and the reviews started coming in. I was lucky. They were mostly pretty good, but still... I found myself perseverating over the negatives. I remember one Goodreads review read, kind of boring, but I got through it. A friend who's a theater director told me that she never reads the reviews. And I didn't understand it until that moment. After that, I stopped reading any reviews. The struggle for me has been in differentiating my role as an artist from my role as a brand. Artist. I feel shy even using that word. Like, am I allowed to call myself that? I've been writing since I was eight, mostly unpublished. I've got multiple unfinished novels, so many journals, and of course volumes of published magazine articles. I've traditionally been more comfortable in the realm of brand, a business idea. I know how to build a brand. It feels productive. It's just that in the wake of the book, those business ideas feel out of place next to the thing that I just created. Which brings me to the conversation I had several years ago with Laura Linney, the actor. Laura's always been one of my very favorite actors. She has this interesting career because she worked so much as a young actress. I remember her on HBO's Tales of the City when she played a very young Marianne Singleton. But she's also an actor who moved gracefully into a middle phase of her career. And in this conversation, we got into the tension that exists between the art we make and the business that supports it, between our expression and how it's received. This episode won an award. It won second place in the National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards, put on by the L.A. Press Club. As I listen to it now with distance, I can hear Laura, a confident, talented, and proven artist, She's grappling with the same tensions that regularly overwhelm me right now. And if she can demand to exist outside of the notion of a brand, to be called an artist and to request a critique of her work that exists to move the art form forward instead of to tear her down or worse, to sell her, 
Well then, so can I. Here's just a short section of this episode. I didn't come out of drama school and think I'm going to be a star. I didn't. I didn't come out and think I'm going to, you know, hit it. It wasn't, it was never about that for me. So, and I think that helped me in some ways. So what was the drive? Good work. Mm -hmm. Good people. Learning, connecting with other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just wanted to get better. I I always just, I just want to get better. Yeah. You know, and, and acting for me anyway is very much sort of like a Chinese puzzle. You get to a point where you have this whole set of problems and you realize you're not doing them well and you need to get better and you finally crack the problem and you you finally like graduate to that next level and then a door opens and there's a whole new set of problems. So you sort of have to earn the problems in a way. Like certain issues will not come up for you unless you're at a certain level. I love that framework for thinking about it, Laura. You know, that's so much how I feel about writing. Yeah. Just at the point when I felt like I was good enough to play, I realized how much I had to grow. How, how much we have to learn, always. Right. Always. That's so for most creative And fields. the thing that I learn over and over and over again is that you have to befriend discomfort. You have to sit in discomfort and let it be, let it aid you, which is really hard to do. So tell it's me a really, story about that. In, in the theater, there's always something called the dreaded week three for me. Week three in rehearsal is always awful. Week two, week one is exciting. You're around the table. You're reading the script. Week two, everybody's up on their feet. You're sort of getting it going. It feels good. And then week three, everything falls apart. And you, you want to fall into the center of the earth. You don't think you're ever going to be able to do it. You see doom and gloom ahead of you. You just, you just lose your way completely. And then usually, hopefully, you know, you move into the theater. You have tech rehearsal. The show opens. And then you work through it. Right. But there's always that dreaded week three where you think this is impossible. This is never going to come together. I hate myself. I hate everyone around me. <laughs> you know, you that get, doesn't go away, you know, Laura. It doesn't go away. It never goes away. And I learned finally that when I was doing, I did the Little Foxes last year and Cynthia Nixon and I traded parts back and forth. And so it was an enormous amount to learn. And I got to dreaded week three and I just thought, what am I doing? Like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then I, I just sort of sat and I had some sort of weird little epiphany where it was like, just sit in the discomfort, like trust the process. Hmm. Like it's going to feel bad right now because your things are growing. And honestly, you know, your the ability to see what you want to do and the instinct that you have that you're following has to catch up with your ability to execute it. And those two things have to come together and you have to let them catch up to each other. And sometimes that's just time. That's just the glory of time. And you have to have faith that time will be a salve, that time will point you in the right direction, that experience and goodwill (laughs) and a good work ethic will will sort of slowly guide you where you need to go. But it is a – it's always a frustrating, terrifying period of time. But I – I've – the thing that's nice about getting older is that I, I know when I'm in it now, as opposed yeah. to just panicking and thinking it's never going to happen. Now I'm like, okay, here I I'm here. I have to take a deep breath. I hate this. I want to tear the skin off my body. It's so uncomfortable. But I'm in week three. 
You know? Well, so Laura, how about when you get to the other side of it mm-hmm. um, and your work is released into the world mm-hmm. and people begin to review it and they mm. have some kind things mm. to say about it, often mm-hmm. some not kind things yeah. to say about it. Really mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really mean. There's, you know, I try not to read reviews because I, it doesn't help me. And it's not a reviewer's job to tell me how to feel about my own work. I know how I feel about my own work. No one has to tell me. <laughs> like, I know if I feel good about something or if I know that it's not so great. Like, I have my own sense of that. Did you have to develop that? Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to feel like I can remember. And I've been savaged. I mean, I was savaged yesterday. You know, I'm sure I'll be savaged tomorrow. Um, and there'll be nice people will say nice things as well. It, you know, it's and there's a there's a entertainment journalistic style now, which is harsh. And unfortunately, I don't think the politics of our day is encouraging um, nuanced guidance. discussion. Gu- yeah, there's no there's no there's no concept of nuance, and there's sort of no there's no goodwill towards it. There's there's a way to say something doesn't work without shaming someone. We're in such a weird time where people are being shamed and or bullied or language is used to squelch and punish, as opposed to you know, so it's like okay that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Right. This is why it didn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, that's always tricky. But reviews are, are tricky because it, it's human instinct to want to read them. <laughs> and right. you have to really make a, a, a decision. But because for Tales, for this Tales, um, I'm a producer. I, I am reading them. So. Um, and so is that. I just, and, some, I don't... and sometimes, you know, you'll get a, a really bad review and you'll agree with them. You'll be like, you know what? They're right. And then you just got to be like, okay. I mean, I just, I can think about how much I struggle with this personally. Mm. Does it get easier to divorce a bad review from a bad feeling that you have about yourself coming out of something? Uh, it's really hard. It's, it's hard not to, but it does get easier. It's interesting when a bad review will confirm an instinct. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you know, I was afraid that's what the case would be, and that's what the case is. Um but then, but what I said before is that, and I think criticism is is important. I think it's important for public record, and I think there is a a uh, a responsibility that critics have for, you know, criticism should not be entertainment. Criticism should be criticism to help move an art form forward, for public record, for history. Um, I, I don't feel that criticism for, you know. To use a bad – to use that work people put blood, sweat, and tears into as a pinata, you know, I don't, I don't feel as helpful to anyone. Right. Um, but criticism I really admire. Right. You know, really good criticism I find, I find really interesting and, and really good when someone can, can talk about a piece of work, why it was written, why it worked, why it didn't work, what's different about this, what's important about this, why someone should go see it, you know, uh, references to other productions in the past or – you know that that I find I find very admirable and 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 worthwhile, but the reviews that are just meant to make you feel bad, you know, uh, just. Uh, I kind of wish that anybody who was writing could imagine that the first person in their audience was the person they were writing about, mm. and that that person was the equivalent of their mother, mm. somebody they need to treat yeah. with deepest respect, yeah. or that they're in. The, I, I think people just don't see themselves in service to anybody else anymore. You know, like, critics aren't, should be in service to 
a greater good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, they should be they should be in service to the art form that supposedly they care about. Because I can't imagine who would want to be a, a theater critic or a film critic or a television critic unless they loved that art form. Yeah. You know, so if you love the art form, talk about the art form as if you love it. <laughs> right. right. Not as if you're trying to wound something that maybe doesn't work. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that, that there's not a place for harsh criticism. There is. But I wonder what it's like for critics, the critics who are who are sort of known for being really harsh and who are disliked by many of the of the actors or the producers or the artists that they review. That's got to feel bad. Yeah. Because they must love the I, I have to believe that they love the art form. I have to believe that. Right. You know, I have to believe they're spending their lives doing this. They're spending hours and hours and hours of their time and their emotional and mental energy writing these reviews. They must love it. And I wonder, like, where where does that go sometimes? <laughs> That's well put. You know, where does it go? So I wonder, like, what that conflict is for them. At one point, I asked Laura exactly how she thought of this idea of a brand, whether she thought of herself as a brand. Her response surprised me at first. But now as I listen back to it, it emboldens me. A brand. I feel like a box of soap. <laughs> I feel like something by, from Palmolive. I mean, it's just the brand. I don't know how an artist can be a brand. I just, I have a hard time reconciling that. I understand that it's, yeah. that it's taken on a different definition than the one that I grew up with and the one that isn't what I understand a brand to be. But it sort of makes me a quantifiable, inanimate thing. Yeah. And when you spend your life trying to connect through um, a, a different venue, something that has to do more with psychology and biology and spirituality and instinct and all of those things, it's hard for me to put a label on that, yeah. slap a sign on it, sell it, have it be bought and sold. You know, it's just a different... And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I, I think it's very tricky to be an artist. It's very depressing to be an artist and think that that's what's happening to your work. Yeah. That it's all about that. It's all about that at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, that, that's hard for me to, if I really think that through, if yeah. I track that idea through, it doesn't lead to a place that makes me feel good. Yeah. Well put. So... Before we finish, I just want to ask about advice you have for others who want to be getting into your field today. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I, I, I firmly believe that whatever, you know, artistic venue you're attracted to, whether that's acting or photography or painting or dance or music or poetry or writing or I feel it will help everybody and anyone at any time in their life, right. whether they do it professionally or as a hobby or as an experiment. I just feel like the arts help everything. I feel they help mathematics. I feel that the greatest scientists are the ones who are the most artistic. And in some ways, the best artists are also somewhat scientific. Right. You know, I feel like there's a, there's a balance there that they feed each other and they help each other out. So I, I strongly encourage anyone at any age to, you know, throw paint on a canvas, go take photographs, 
go study, go watch other people's work. You know, get outside of yourself also. Yeah. Like, like sit down and watch a film festival of all of Betty Davis's movie movies and watch how she grows as an actress. Like, watch everything Meryl Streep ever did and watch, like, what happens to the evolution of that craft. Watch Maggie Smith. Watch Judy Dench. Watch them all. You know, but study. Learn from what people have given you. I think that's a lot of it, is take what we've inherited and use it. Well, you said, and I loved hearing you say, it's it's not about being good at it or just if you feel compelled to do it, try it. Yeah. That kind of runs counter to what we were talking about earlier about how difficult it is right now or how much we judge each other, how, how difficult it is right now not to say the right thing or do the right thing or be the right person in any given moment. Um, I feel like the, the lanes are getting narrower for people to get to try new things that they don't know. Well, that's something they just have to, that you just have to not care. Okay. You know, I think that's something you have to <laughs> yeah. see it as self-care. Yeah. Yeah. You have to see it as self-care. And, you know, and people are going to say mean things and people will say nice things. And you have to figure out how you feel about it yourself. That, that's the first step. Like, yeah. how do I? And it's okay not to know. But if you don't know, then, you, then you're susceptible to people saying things. So you just have to be protective. Well but, said. But, you know, I, I think it helps every, every industry. I want to think about my own work the way Laura thinks about hers. I have my own version of the dreaded week three, and I want to know that it will pass. It always does. And yet every time I come up against it, I fear it won't. And Laura, she was remarkable. I remember that on the day that she came into the studio, she arrived several hours early for her interview. She was doing some promotion work for the new Tales of the City that was coming out. She had downtime. The problem is, if you're Laura Linney, it's hard to mind your own business in a Starbucks in Midtown. People come up to you. So I invited her up, but our crew wasn't there yet. I got her some water, and then we hung out in the green room. Jude was really young then. He was just a few months old, and I was a new mom, and somehow we got talking about parenthood. I'm usually the person to ask the questions when guests come through, but I found myself telling Laura all about motherhood and how I'd become a parent and what it was like. She has that effect on people, I think. People tell her things. At any rate, you can find the entire episode in our archives. If there's any voice inside of you, regardless of what you do or make or sell, that declares itself an artist, you should listen to it. If there are things that you've learned while listening to the show, things that have really worked for you, I hope you'll send them our way. Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hellomonday at linkedin.com. Thanks to everyone who helped make this bonus episode. Talk to you Monday.